Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 105. We're back, and I'm prepared this time. <laughs> Congratulations! A real good story. <laughs> and Sally, you're uh, still on your trip. I am still on my trip. So where are you now? Trip. Did you change locations? Um, we did. I changed locations. I am now. I'm in a hotel room in Watkins Glen, New York, oh. which is like right at the southern tip of one of the Finger Lakes. Oh. Um, yeah. You had to kick Ben and Max out of your hotel room to record this? Uh, gladly. <laughs> <laughs> Too much togetherness? Oh, man. Sometime yesterday, Max decided that he, I'm his favorite person ever, and Aww. he doesn't ever want to be apart from me, and he just, I think he's just like, we've been away a long time, you know, we're going a lot of different places. He just got very needy. Yeah. To me. (laughs) He has been like, mom, I need you to sit next to me. Mom, I need you to be with me. Mom, I need, you know, just like everything on top of me. So I was like, you guys have to get out of here. (laughs) So, I mean, of course I love it and him, but also I just need a a break. A break. You needed some me time. And that me time is we time. And (laughs) you guys' time. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So we're just, we are here just for the night. Um, We're going to go for a little hike in the morning, and we have a sweet hotel that's, like, right overlooking the lake, Um, and then we're going to go up to Rochester to visit our good friend, Steve and Carlene, who, Steve, we actually, Ben and I met hiking the Appalachian Trail. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he's Pilgrim, if you've read the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I've read, I've read Sally's book, so I know what that means. Yeah, so we're going to you guys will read it as soon as it comes out. (laughs) Yeah, as soon as I submit it anywhere. Um, Cool. So how was your little little vacay? Oh, good. One-day vacay. Yeah, we got away for a one day. Uh, (laughs) Literally, this. you know how last week I was talking about how frazzled and how stressed I was, like, while we were recording? Well, like, literally the minute before I started to record, I had planned this, like, weekend trip for my kids because um, I've been so busy with the new job and work that, like, I can't really take vacation because I just started. So, and I felt bad for them because they're not really getting any summer vacays. So... Yeah. I booked this like trip to Chattanooga just for a quick weekend, two nights. And then I was supposed to take them in the morning. And then right as I was about to record, um, Zach called me on on Face like FaceTime the the kids who's like, the kids want to FaceTime you. And then the kids get on and they're like, um, we're supposed to have a party at our camp tomorrow. Can we not go? And I was like, What? <laughs> Hey, mom, and then, you know how you planned this whole trip because we were like, we want to go on a vacation. <laughs> I know. And I was yeah. like, for like a popsicle party? Like, and then I was like, well, I mean, I'm doing this for you guys. So if you really don't, like, I'll, in the very least, like, I'll cancel the first night. I'm not going to pay all this money for a hotel room if we're not going to get there until like 10 o'clock at night. So I um, tried to change the trip and it wasn't letting me. And I was up until four o'clock in the morning that night fighting with this travel agent 
website. Oh. I'm not going to say which one. Rhymes it was Expedia. Shmalidia. <laughs> and it took until four o'clock in the morning for someone to fix it for me. And that and then so um, I crazy. Yeah, I know. Like their systems were down or something, and they wouldn't let me. You're supposed to have free yeah. cancellation of edit. Like you can change it yourself with this app. Talk to our, you know, virtual travel agents who uh-huh. aren't real and won't help you <laughs> and make you pull your hair out. So anyway, so we went for one day, but we actually uh-huh. had the best time. Like it was oh, good. I love and we, it. We did so much stuff jam packed in one full day. Yeah, and it was good. Chatting, is one of those hidden gems. It really is. I mean. You would never think it, <laughs> but there's so much to do there. It's really charming little city. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And totally I saw beautiful. your pictures. You guys did Rock City, which I've never gone to. Me neither. Until yesterday or two days yeah. ago, and it was awesome. I That's loved amazing. it. Well, look so, at us getting out there. Look at us. We've seen the world. <laughs> I saw some rocks and you're in a finger lake. I'm in a, I'm in a motel. <laughs> <laughs> This this is it is a motel like with a capital M like the oh, lady yeah. was like oh I let me hand you your keys like and by they they were physical keys right. which is always like oh okay tied to like um, a, a wooden block yeah remember <laughs> carved into it yeah. yeah but it has this like beautiful pool overlooking this the lake and it's like every room has like a balcony overlooking the lake so uh, I was like I mean it's clean it's fine but it is like straight up motel <laughs> ben was like where are we hey man you're only there for one night we're here for one night we're having an experience right. um yeah. all right well let's get into some quickies all right i got no time to chit chat i told no, you i know no chit chat <laughs> no. all right well my quickie this week comes from an article for news10.com albany news written by johan sheridan okay um, and I kind of want to share some of uh, his writing stylings because it's very creative and I and I enjoy. Okay. okay. So on June 17th, the Albany County Sheriff's Office reports the arrest of two people from Ravenna, New York, after their domestic dispute ruffled some feathers. I just really uh-huh. needed to add that. <laughs> Sheriff Craig Apple said deputies responded to a report of a domestic incident at 1.45 p.m. on Monday on, at uh-huh. the scene of the Oak Brook Manor Apartments. Police said that they found Shanna Salvino, 32, who lives in Ravina, with a cut on her face. And then when police interviewed her boyfriend, Christopher Hecker, who's 40, he explained that, that they had gotten into an argument that escalated. And according uh-huh. yeah. to Christopher, by the end of it, they were both throwing eggs at each other. So that's they got they called the police. Uh-huh. They got into a fight, and then they, I guess, got a carton of eggs and started egging <laughs> each other. I don't know how that part escalated. I mean, I could see if it escalated. if I was making eggs and somebody pissed me off, I would throw that egg. I would. Yeah, I could. I'm I a get thrower. Too, like. Yeah, I mean, we've established that. You're a thrower. Yeah, I'm a thrower. <laughs> <laughs> but it says, investigators looking to crack the case found uh-huh. that uh, Salvino was violating an order of protection. So Christopher Heckler, the boyfriend, was the protected party. So they weren't supposed to be together because there was yeah. a um, an order of protection against 
his girlfriend, Shanna. And he actually works as a correctional officer at the Coxsackie Correctional Facility. <laughs> you ding dong. You ding dong. It's called the Coxsackie Correctional Oh, man. Coxsackie? But I don't know any other way to say it. It's Coxsackie. <laughs> and so both... <laughs> They were both charged with misdemeanors, and she was charged with second-degree criminal contempt and second-degree harassment, and he was charged with third-degree assault. They were both arraigned and released, and another order of protection was issued to prevent them from any other future contact. They done went over the limit <laughs> with the eggs. They, they, they ruffled, ruffled some feathers. Was that supposed to be like a chicken reference because of the yeah. eggs? Yeah. They oh. ruffled some feathers and they cracked they crack, crack the case. I thought what you else? were going to be like. You're really and- good at puns, Sally. Like they, I guess they chickened out. And Which is to say, like, as, had an as explosion the final- <laughs> of emotion. Was the final is the final line of it like, who has egg on their face now? No, but that should have been. I'm really kind of. I was hoping for like a snappy, uh, right? Snappy like, last sentence. But it if wasn't. you're gonna go for it, go for it. Yeah. Like if you're gonna on. put a pun in there, put all the Johan Sheridan. <laughs> really give it to us. Oh man, yeah. there were so many so. missed opportunities, Johan. I know. <laughs> oh, sorry, Say it was eggs. No, I can't. <laughs> Excellent. Exactly. No, I can't. No. I'm not a good punter. <laughs> not a good punter. Uh, and then you know what? It's that like my body right. fought it. Like I it was like I coming know, out my were... mouth, and then my body shoved like shoved into itself. Like do not. Jen, Jen, this isn't you. Don't do You're it. not a punter. You don't do don't. puns. <laughs> oh, I do puns. I well, that's my quickie. <laughs> I loved it. Well, I also went the route of like a couple of dum-dums. Yeah. So I first, I actually found, I was like looking, I found this, this headline of, so this couple got caught having sex because, you know, I love Couples get caught, getting caught having sex. Because you're a perv. Because <laughs> it's such a perv. <laughs> uh, and I, they got caught having – somebody who was, like, mowing their lawn or mowing a lawn what? found a couple on the lawn having sex, and it wasn't their home that they were having oh sex Oh, my God. Lawn. So the lawn guy reported them, and then the people got mad when the, then the, when the police showed up. And so they started throwing rocks at the lawn guy. Because they were like, how, you, how dare you fucking get us? But Were they clothed to, at this point? I don't know. I couldn't find any. I mean, it was like such a, that was like all the information. Right. This was in Canada. But what I did find was a link to this next article that's even pervier. So hold on to your horses. A couple Is it in- about having sex with horses? <laughs> Is this a pun? No. Should we prepare? No. Okay. <laughs> um... So a young couple was selling their house, and they're in Detroit, uh, Oakland, which is outside of Detroit, and they had to get a home inspection. So they left their house and let the um, the home inspector and the buyer's real estate agent into the home to get the inspection. And then this is a 22-year-old female homeowner, which I find insulting that she's a 22-year-old and owns a home. She's got her shit together, dude. I know. She's smarter than all of us. We all should have bought homes when we were 22. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay, so this 
badass woman, <laughs> badass 22-year-old female homeowner, was alerted. She had a, like a nanny cam. And so she got an alert that there was movement in the nursery. And she just like, she knew that the inspector was there, but so she was like not really alarmed, but she just like checked it because it popped up. And apparently as she watched, the home inspector <gasps> looks like kind of be, starts touching himself. Oh and then my he looks God. down and sees an Elmo doll. <gasps> and apparently it says, he picked the doll up from the nursery floor and appeared to be pleasuring himself with the doll. Oh my then, god! He then returned it to the original location. <gasps> so of course this this badass lady calls the police. The police arrested him. His name is Ken Wayne Van Leeuwen. And so they question him and he's like, oh no, I just like moved the doll to inspect an electrical outlet. But then they were like, uh there's a camera. <laughs> and he was like, oh. And then it says, then Van Leeuwen allegedly made incriminating statements and apologized. So uh, he was set to uh, $2,500 cash and charged with aggravated indecent exposure. Oh um, my and God. as a condition Ugh. of his bond, he's not to be in a residential property he doesn't own, which seems to kind of I mean, that would be, is going to be hard for a home inspector. The Oakland Good. Sheriff He said, should never yeah. be a home inspector again. No, I agree. I agree. But the, uh, the Oakland Sheriff said, just when I think I've seen it all, someone steps up and surprises me with a new level of disturbing actions. God. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. That really, that one really got you. Yeah. It just <laughs> makes me sick. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, that's your child's room. And it's an Elmo doll. Like, I, I'm willing to bet that if they really investigated this home inspector, they'd find some real fucked up shit on the other end of it. Oh, yeah. That's not the first time he's done that. He wasn't Ugh. just like, you know what? <laughs> I think I'm going to check out my new kink. I'm going to see if this works out here while Good. I'm in it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, sorry about that. But, you know, it's like I clicked on one thing. I've clicked on a couple having sex in a lawn and I end up with a guy with an Elmo That's doll. how it happens. So, That's why I don't let your kids happens. get on YouTube ever. <laughs> <laughs> you can go let your kids or Sally get on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. it, it just spirals down to grosser and grosser. So True. And <laughs> that's my quickie. Awesome. And I dude. apologize, Jen. No, it's okay. Like we needed to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you needed to know. I did. I read it, so now you guys need to have it in your heads. I'll be expecting my own home. Thank you. <laughs> Going yep, looks forward. Looks good. <laughs> hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for a real wild story? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've been waiting for this for a couple weeks now. I know. And like this, <laughs> this story is so nuts that like I wanted to get it right. I didn't want to half-ass it. And that's why it was just yeah. like – Diving into it. There was so much information. Just diving into it felt like overwhelming. Yes. But this is something. I do know like, those stories where you're like, sometimes I'll get into something and I'll be like, I can't, I don't have the time to like do this justice this week. <laughs> like right. I, need, to, I yeah. need something that is an easier Some story real dumb to snapped out. episode yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so this is something a little different. This came from an article, a really great article from Vanity Fair written by Adam Soralski, a story for ABC News by Emily Whip, Laura Demon, Colleen Halpin, 
Emma Pichia and Anthony Rivas. See how many people had to be involved? This is such a crazy story. <laughs> and then also an episode of The Con hosted by Whoopi Goldberg. And the episode okay. was titled The Love Con. So 49-year-old Benita Alexander was an award-winning producer for NBC News and was at the top of her game. She was living in New York City and she was like, beautiful, the super successful, glamorous woman. But everybody always said how like all of her friends commented about how she was just like the warmest, most loving, kind, caring person also. Like she looked like like she had like dark hair, blue eyes and was always wearing like really dressed to the nines, really put together. So when you look at her, you think she might be a little standoffish or a little intimidating, but she's actually like a wonderful person. Um, Don't you love love when you like, I just, I love that. Like, yeah, that just juxtaposition of people. Like when you see someone and you're like, you instantly are like, Oh, I know what they're going to be like. And then their personality is just like completely different. Yeah. Such, that's so fun. It's like, yeah. oh, hey, dummies, don't judge people by their looks. <laughs> you ding-dongs. Or, or for any reason. <laughs> so, Except um, for their actions. Exactly. And their hair color. Mm. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. 100%. <laughs> and their bank accounts. <laughs> and their dicks. <laughs> <laughs> go in the other room (laughs) my son's just out there playing video games um anyway so she had a daughter from a previous marriage and she was an incredible mother to her and she was really one of those women that just had it all together you know yeah and apparently she really had to kind of like she fought her way to get there you know she she grew up in hunting Huntington Woods, Michigan, where apparently she had a pretty hard childhood. She had told Vanity Fair that before her 16th birthday, she came home from a sleepover to discover that her mother had left the family. Isn't that heartbreaking? And then two years later, her father married a neighbor. And when he got married, he asked her to to move out. Isn't that just horrible? Yeah. Like, I guess at that point she was like 18 and was just like, and asked her to move, but she put all of her energy into her schooling and her studies. And, and she worked really hard. And in 1987, she graduated magna cum laude from Wayne State University with a degree in journalism. And then she spent the early 1990s. She worked for different local television stations. She also taught journalism. Um, So yeah, and then she she met a fellow reporter named John Knoll and who she married. And then that's when she moved to New York City and she joined NBC's Dateline, which is our favorite. Yes. So um, (laughs) this is really breaking the fourth wall. In 2003, she, she had her daughter, uh, Jacina is her name, but then her and her husband ended up getting a divorce in 2009, and she married again in 2012, but it didn't last very long. It was kind of a, what she called a rebound situation. Very nice man, yeah. but it didn't work out. So, and over the years, like throughout her career, she's worked with people like Matt Lauer and Curry. She works very closely with Meredith Vieira. She's worked with Tom Brokaw. She earned... A lot of awards, including two Emmys and the Edward R. Murrow Award. Um, Dang. Yeah. She's like super 
Awesome. And so she was assigned to produce this documentary about this toddler from Korea who was coming to the United States to have this groundbreaking surgery and be, she was going to be the youngest recipient of an artificial trachea. And this groundbreaking surgery was going to be performed by a 57 year old world renowned Italian surgeon, Paolo Maccarini. So um, Dr. Maccarini was referred to as a super surgeon. I just like want to call him Dr. Macaroni. Dr. Macaroni. Macaroni. <laughs> and so he was a um, – That there you go. That's the title for this episode. <laughs> Dr. Macaroni. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Um, <laughs> are you hungry? Call Dr. Macaroni. You I would don't know to what Dr. to make macaroni. for dinner. <laughs> um, so we he got was Doctor Macaroni. Doctor Macaroni. So he was a, a super surgeon. So he was very well known, famous surgeon, and they called him like kind of a cowboy of the medical field. Like he would push boundaries to find new science for organ transplants. And he was famous for inventing this, I keep saying groundbreaking, groundbreaking, yet still (laughs) controversial procedure to where he replaces a damaged trachea with a plastic trachea that was wrapped in the person's own stem cells. Um, This was said to prevent the body from um, rejecting the transplant. Okay. So he was very- I mean, I can imagine- yeah. He was yeah. very successful. He was tall. He was handsome. He really, everybody said he looked like an Italian George Clooney and he really did. He had like that salt and pepper hair and like the little bit of a beard and he was Italian. Like he was handsome. And yeah. so he worked at the Stockholm, Stockholm's Karolinska Institute, which is the home of the Nobel Prize in Physiology or medicine. So he was like super legit. And now he was going to do this surgery, which would be the first synthetic trachea transplant on a child. And this child was a two-year-old Korean Canadian little girl named Hannah Warren. And unfortunately she was very sick and she spent her entire life thus far in a hospital in Seoul. Like I said, he was always in the news and was pretty famous, but now he was going to be interviewed by Meredith Vieira for this documentary that there was to be titled A Leap of Faith, all about this surgery. Yeah. So in February of 2014, the day before his interview, Benita met him for the first time to go over some interview notes, you know. They ended up meeting at this bar at the Mandarin Orient Hotel in Boston. Benina said that as soon as he turned around the corner and their eyes met, she just felt this like electric shock go up her body. And yeah. she was like, whoa, what was that? But then like she kind of let it go. She, was, she wasn't really in a romantic mind space at that point. She wasn't like, oh, this guy's hot. She was just like, I'm working, you know, because she was yeah. a workaholic. And yeah, so she's a professional. She's a pro. But also she – had she already had a lot on her mind as well because her ex-husband who was the father of her then nine-year-old daughter had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer which is heartbreaking yeah so her first husband john noel was hospitalized with geoblastoma which is an aggressive form of brain cancer just because they weren't married anymore doesn't mean she doesn't care about him you know and it's her daughter's father yeah i was gonna say even if she didn't care about him she cares about her daughter exactly what a horrible thing yeah yeah and so she her and paulo i'm gonna call him paulo instead of dr mccurry it might not be respectful but it's our podcast and i do what i want you do you want yeah don't let anybody tell you i don't have to call him doctor i'm dr paulo (laughs) 
Um, so anyway, <laughs> so they met several times and then she started to talk to him about her ex-husband because he was a doctor and had worked with so many terminally ill patients, right. you know, and so he was able to understand her and sympathize and give her advice and give her advice about what how she should help her daughter through it. Benita told Vanity Fair, he was an amazing friend to me during that time and a solid, reliable pillar of strength. He spent hours listening to me talk about it all and offering gentle advice. By the spring of 2013, they were both in Illinois for a few weeks because of the the surgery that was being performed for the little girl at the Children's Hospital of Illinois. And of course, they were filming the documentary, so they would often meet for dinner. And after a while, Benita couldn't help uh-huh. it, but she started to fall for him. He was just like brilliant man and and he was there for her when she needed like george clooney yeah (laughs) um and he was like really interesting and actually a lot of people in a couple of the shows that i watched said that they called him you know those doseki commercials like the most interesting man in the world yeah they said like that was him like he could he was fluent in like six different languages and he was just like this italian man that knew how to do all these things and was super smart and like just very like suave day suave yeah suave rico <laughs> suave. suave and so <laughs> So they started to fall for each other, but the problem was um, that he was separated from his wife, but not yet divorced. And also, Uh she was producing this documentary about him, so it was unethical and a huge no-no for her to be romantically involved with him. But they kind of couldn't help it. And like after a while, their personal relationship turned romantic. And in June of 2013, he ended up flying Benita, Italy, took her on a gondola ride and bought her these expensive earrings and rose petals everywhere. He rented a boat and took her to all these different islands. Like she was completely swept off her feet. Like at restaurants, he would order like everything on the menu, you know, and then they ended up. I love that. I know. (laughs) Me too. And so they ended up doing, you know, uh, at the Ponte dell'Accademia Bridge, I guess. I've, I have not, I've never been in Venice, <laughs> but you, they have those love locks where people, um, you know, yes. write your name on it and they like put love locks on the bridge and they did yeah. that. And it said BP 23613 forever. And when they did that, you know, shoot, they were still shooting the story. So this was not not good but he was it sounds like uh, he loved he, he showered her. her he love bombed her hard like yeah. uh, expensive dinners gifts flowers he would write notes for her or to her on lipstick in the bathroom mirror which like fuck you because that's really hard for someone else to clean <laughs> i know that's what i was like, like oh, whoever they're that yeah whoever has to go around and clean that up it's like just write it on a piece of paper. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, Why are you ruining they my lipstick? have those pads on the desk with a pen for a reason. <laughs> I'd be like, so. this is like psycho. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is like horror movie. I know. Like Benita told Vanity Fair, I knew that I was crossing the line in the sense that it's a basic and well understood rule of journalism that you don't become involved with one of your subjects of your story uh, because your objectivity could clearly become compromised. And she said, I never once thought about 
him paying for the trip as him buying me in some fashion or potentially using money to influence me because from my perspective anyway, that wasn't the case. We were just crazy about each other and I was falling in love. And I wouldn't yeah. have even thought about that because I'm an idiot. Like, but like, no. you know, the love bombing, <laughs> like him doing that is maybe to get a good story, you know, I, I don't know. So anyway, yeah. so, but there were so many more trips that he took her on. He took her to London, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Sweden. They went to the Bahamas two times. He went to Greece and he spent it. He spent money like it was never going away, you know, and he right. treated her like a queen. But and he was also wonderful to all of her family and friends. Um, and then when, um, like, he made sure that, you know, uh, there was one of her friends that said that she had had breast cancer and he made sure that she saw, like, the best doctor. And, you know, he really was looking out for her friends, too. And then when Benita finally let Paolo meet her daughter, her daughter ended up falling in love with him. Like, he was so great yeah. with her and he called her and Benita his princesses. And this little mm. girl had just lost her father, you know, because he, right. did, he did pass away. And now this man was stepping in and acting like a father figure to her. And he took them both on trips and spoiled them both rotten. So, And Benita just loved seeing her daughter so happy after what she had just been through. Yeah. She just thought this was the knight in shining armor. And they began acting like a family. Like uh, Paolo even took Benita and her daughter to go meet his mom at her ha- her home in Luca in Italy, she made them homemade gnocchi, and the mom showed her pictures of him when like when he was growing up and all this yeah. stuff. I know, and you know she spoke Italian, but Paolo translated. I don't know what he was actually saying, but anyway. Um, but at this <laughs> oh, point, mom. I thought yeah, like said- the mom. I yeah. got you. I think you said so, Benita spoke Italian and then but Paolo still translated them. Like, oh no, no, no. <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> and rude. No, yeah, um, the rude. mom. Yeah. So at, so now at this point, like he was divorced, and on their very first Christmas together, Paolo ended up handing Benita a box. And inside the box, when she opened it, was this gorgeous ring. And with that, he proposed to her. The ring was said to be worth a hundred thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. Holy. Uh, and Benita, wow. yeah, Benita, of course, said yes. Right after on New Year's, she was wished that he could stay around for New Year's, but he said that he had to leave because he had a very important surgery back in Europe. And he was being very secretive about it when she was asking him questions. And he said he told her that he was actually part of this very important network that provided medical care for world leaders. He said he was... Uh, provided medical care for the Clintons and the Obamas. He said that he was actually very good friends with Bill Clinton, but his most important patient was Pope Francis. Okay. And it sounds wild, but like he was a world famous super surgeon. Right. It's like, like if okay, anybody's yeah. going to do these things, it's going to be him. Yeah. You know? So he had to leave, but then they got started right away with planning what their friends would call the wedding of the century. They knew that they wanted to get married in Italy. And Paolo being Italian, he said that he wanted to plan the wedding himself. And Benita thought that was a little bit odd, like what usually the man doesn't want to do that. Right. But <laughs> she was like, okay, well, like you live there, you know, any, uh, uh, you know, everyone, you know, all these powerful people, like I'll let you take the reign. Plus wedding, planning wedding sucks. Yeah, I mean, you know? she's done it before. And it's her so. third wedding, so yeah. she's probably like, I don't want to. I get right. it. And so <laughs> 
so little by little, he just like would fill her in on these amazing wedding plans and surprises. So the wedding date was set for July 11, 2015. The first surprise that he gave her is she knew that he was going in for a meeting with the Pope and it was like taking a long time and she was wondering what was going on. And then when he came and got out of the meeting, he called her and he was like, are you sitting down? And he told her that he had just come, came from a meeting with the Pope. And then he told her that the Pope offered to officiate their wedding. No, the Pope. And at first she was like, that's crazy. The Pope doesn't officiate weddings. Like, plus she was like, plus we're divorced and I'm not Catholic. Yeah. Yeah, And so (laughs) like, if he's going to officiate a wedding, it's going to be really Catholic people. Right. Yeah. But so she Googled it and saw that the Pope had actually just officiated a mass wedding of 20 or so couples and not all of them were Catholic. So like, this was a thing he was starting. And you know, Pope Francis is kind of like, he's also a cowboy of the Pope world. He like, you know, (laughs) he's trying, he's like radically thinking, you know what I mean? Progressive um, Uh, for the Catholic church, you know, like uh he said that being gay is not a sin because it's not. And, uh, but that's controversial in the Catholic church, you know, and um, he's, he's, in favor of gay weddings, which you should be. He's forward thinking for being right. a pope. Paolo told Benita that he, the pope told him that he wanted to officiate this wedding as a show um, to show his more progressive agenda. He was hoping that if he could do a wedding for divorced people in this big grand wedding, it would be kind of a hope for the future of the Catholic Church. Does that make sense? Sure. Just to show the dire- direction he wanted it to go in. Yeah. Um. So Bonita was like, okay, uh, holy shit, the Pope is officiating my wedding. You know, so she's calling her friends and everybody and telling them and everybody's like, can't believe it. And and then he also said that the Pope offered to have the wedding at his summer residence, which is called the Apostolic Palace of Castel Gandolfo. And the reason was not only was it gorgeous, this castle, but it was, it had really good security like enormous security so they offered to have it there Um, i guess you can't have like the pope at just like the a regular old yeah like a like the hyatt (laughs) yeah no the fountain by the hyatt Uh and so um so and the guest list was star-studded he had sent out these these invitations that were on embossed lambskin envelopes also Gross. unnecessary paperwork's <laughs> just fine. Oh, so he addressed, and so all these invitations were like addressed to the Obamas, the Clintons, the Putins, Andrea <laughs> Bocelli, Russell Crowe, Elton John, John Legend, Meredith Vieira, Kenny Rogers, and also the Pope. And so all of her friends, you know, bought tickets to Italy and they were so excited for this event. Like who wouldn't be like, I would right. charge that shit. Like if I didn't have money <laughs> for a ticket to Italy, but I knew it was going to yeah. be like this big, crazy wedding, I would do it. So Paul also told her that he rented a castle for all of their guests to stay in and that Andrea Bocelli was going to sing at the ceremony and John Legend was going to play as well. He said that his mother knew Andrea Bocelli's mother. They like grew up in the same town and that's how he was able to get Andrea Bocelli to do this. Uh-huh. And so the event was going to be a four day event 
the wedding was going to be a four day event is what I'm trying to say. And um, yeah, but Benita had picked out one wedding dress and this wedding dress was a little bit more on like the sexy side. So she was like, oh shit, I can't wear this in front of the Pope. So (laughs) she um, put a call into the designer of her wedding dress. Matthew Christopher and this designer uh, has designed dresses for like Kristen Chenoweth and World Cup winner Carly Lloyd and and so she let him know that she needed more dresses uh, because this was for a very special event. She started to document all of this because you know she's a docu- she's a filmmaker, you know, right. a documentary producer. So she started to kind of document everything and so there is like footage of her telling this designer, well, the person that's officiating us is the Pope. And he just about like fell out of his chair. So of course him and his staff were like beyond excited and they got to work right away to make sure that she had the most amazing dresses for all of these events. So the designer, Matthew Christopher told Vanity Fair that he was told that the Pope was going to let Benita use his special carriage, like the little Pope mobile or whatever. Um, oh. <laughs> and they had to, isn't that what it's called? A Pope yeah, movie? no, it is. I was just had a vision of. Yeah. And so like yeah. they, ha- like they talked to him about how they were going to get her dress into this carriage with enough time so that he, that Matthew can get her into the church in one of the doors or something before, you know, they were locked for security. Like he was going to be at this event too. Like basically as her dress handler, you know, and um, her designer, of course. But because of all the security and how many famous people were going to be there, um, Benita had everybody involved with the wedding, including Matthew Christopher and all of his employees sign an NDA so that they were, which is a non-disclosure agreement, so that they were (laughs) not allowed to talk to anybody about the wedding. And then for the caterers, Paolo told her that he had hired Florence's Inoteca Pinciori, which is a, a famous three Michelin star restaurant, to cater the affair. So everything was set in place. And now Benita and Paolo needed to figure out, like, where are they going to live? Like, she lives in the United States. He lives in Italy and sometimes Barcelona and whatever. And so they decided that Benita would get, like, quit her job in New York at, at NBC and move her and her daughter to Barcelona to live with Paolo in his Barcelona home. Yeah. And he, he would send her videos of their, their house, which was gorgeous and tell her like, this is where we're going to live happily ever after. I love you. I can't wait to see you. Blah, blah. And so, and then, um, so uh, with that, Benita on May 13th left her job at NBC and then told her daughter's school, like took her out of school and let them know that she wouldn't be coming back. She was in a private school. And Meredith Vieira wrote this glowing tribute to her or made a video yeah. that said, like, I first met Benita nine years ago. We were asked to cover a story, a heartbreaking story about a beautiful high school student who had lost her life in Colorado. And you learn a lot about someone when you're in the trenches with them doing that kind of story. I learned that Benita is a fabulous producer. I learned that she is a brilliant writer, but most importantly, I learned that she is incredible an incredibly sensitive and wonderful human who understands others and wants to connect with them in a very deep and profound way. That goes on and on to talk about how wonderful she is and she says, "I wish her the best and I know that she will do extremely well in her new life in Barcelona." And so then the very next day the day after she quit her job on May 14th, which was just weeks before their July 11th wedding, Benita decided to take all of her group of her girlfriends out for a spa day. 
mm-hmm. they were all sitting in the spa when Benita receives this email from a friend and the, the subject of the email just says the Pope. And inside the email was a link about an article all about the Vatican's plans for Pope Francis to go to South America in July, the very uh-huh. same time during their wedding. And she said that the second that she read that, like her stomach dropped. You yeah, know, it's like you unravel. If you if you were holding on to this belief, like you're like, this seems so far-fetched that it made everything else seem like small in comparison. Right. You know what and I mean? Like that's it's, So if you could make yourself believe that, it's like you could believe anything. But if then yeah. that brick and is she's, gone. And she's a smart person. She's an investigative yeah. journalist. Because she said that there was always like little hints, like you would cancel plans last minute, you know, uh, mysteriously have to but she was but he's a surgeon you know what I mean that's the life of a surgeon yeah so and she really wanted the fairy tale to be real not only for her but for her daughter and so so Benita called Paolo and asked him what was going on and he gave her the story about how like oh the old pope didn't like Pope Francis's politics so he purposely messed up his schedule so that he couldn't officiate the wedding Uh, but he's like but I'm on my way to Rome to straighten it all out so he told her that, you know, don't be, don't worry, don't worry, I've got this, just trust me, it's ever, it's all going to work out. And then he called her and he said, yep, just talk to the Pope, he's going to come home early, he'll be there, he'll be at our wedding. Um, but she wasn't so convinced. <laughs> and so yeah. luckily, she she's an award-winning producer and investigative journalist, so she started digging. And she hired private investigators in both the U.S. and in Italy And it turned out, they found out that pretty much every single detail that he gave her about the wedding was fake. (gasps) And when they looked at public records in Italy, there was, uh, it showed that he was still very much married to his wife of 30 years, Emanuela Peccia. Oh my God. Yes. And then Vanity Fair reached out to the Vatican and Father Federico Lombardi told them that there is no personal doctor of the Pope with the name of Maccarini. The Pope has surely never promised to officiate officiate a wedding and does not know someone with such a name. And of course, on July 11th, the Pope was went to Latin America and that plan was on his agenda for a long time before July. And he said that that's all he would all he would say. Yeah. And then when they contacted Andrea Bocelli's wife and manager, Veronica Birdie, she laughed when they asked if he was going to sing to the couple at their wedding. He was like, she said, he was not booked to sing at a wedding. He doesn't sing at people's weddings. Uh, (laughs) Castel Gandolfo, absolutely not. And then they reached out to Annie Field, who is, um, the co-owner of Enoteca Pinciori, she said that she was never contacted about uh, or definitely not contracted for a wedding on July 11th and that they had never even heard of him before. You know, but while Benita's finding out all of this information and she's devastated, of course, she kept going on with Paolo like, like they were still together while she was digging up more information. So she pretended that she didn't know anything and, you know, we talked to him on the phone and, but she did suggest that, you know, maybe we should postpone the wedding for now. You seem really stressed work and everything. Like, let's just like postpone it. And so, but she knew that she was canceling a fake fucking wedding that was never going to happen. Right. 
she had to email, which was like the hardest thing to do, email all of her guests that lived in a total of 17 different countries and let them know that the wedding had been canceled. And a lot of these people had already bought flights, booked their hotels, bought dresses, you know, like they thought that this was going to be the wedding of the century. And then she had to tell the designer who him and his staff had spent all of these hours working overtime, making sure that, and all this work into making these beautiful dresses for her, that it was for nothing. And so um, she, she felt horrible, you know? Yeah. Um, And also she's like realizing this person she was in love with is a total fraud. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but yes, but then on top of that is like the embarrassment, embarrassment and then what you've done to your friends, like the, pain you've yeah. given. Oh God, that's so awful. I know. And her private investigator, one of them, Frank Murphy said, told Vanity Fair, I've never in my experience witnessed a fraud like this with this level of international flair. The fact that he, he could keep all of these details straight and compartmentalize these different lives and lies is really amazing because there's more. Not only was he lying and cheating and full of shit, But apparently in 2012, he was charged in Italy with attempted aggravated fraud related to alleged efforts to persuade very ill patients to undergo radical surgery at the at the facilities that he had privileges at. So, um, so dirty, dirty, dirty. And so also a lot of people in the medical community have have had an eyebrow raised at him for for a long time because a lot of them think that these claims um, about like how much research that he's done about these synthetic tracheas, um, they, they, they think that they're bunk and that they actually don't work. And apparently like out of the eight patients that he gave these synthetic tracheas to seven of them died, (gasps) including, I know we don't like to talk about bad stuff with kids, but including the, the little girl that the documentary was about. Oh my gosh. And then also doctors talk and there was one of his colleagues called him out because he had attended the University of Pisa at the same time that Maccarini claimed to have been an associate professor at Pisa. But his colleague was like, he was never a professor there at all, you know, Uh, like, so apparently there's something called like um, full professor, which is like Mm -hmm. the highest level of professor or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. He uh, apparently at a bunch of different medical schools, he claimed to be a full professor when he wasn't even a professor at all. He said that he got his master in biostatistics at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. When they contacted the University of Alabama, they said that he actually only participated in a two-year fellowship in thoracic surgery. So he lied about all of these things. Everything. Everything. And then Hanover Medical School also wrote to Vanity Fair saying that he never had, uh, he never had neither a full nor an associate professor there, merely just an adjunct. So he would go to these medical schools and then pretend that he was like a full professor at all of these schools. Um, Yeah. So, um, you know, the big question, I, I, we kind of asked it earlier, is why would somebody as intelligent as Benita fall for all of these lies? And 
you know, she told Vanity Fair, like, this was not some guy I picked up in a bar. This was like a renowned, accomplished, established surgeon whom we had followed all over the world. Like NBC was doing a documentary on him. Like, why would she think that he was full of shit? Um, In July of 2015, which would have been her wedding day, she and her and two of her closest girlfriends actually flew to his home in Barcelona to where he get answers. So she knew like Benita knew that something was going on in that house. Like something was in that house, you know, because every time she had had plans to go in the past to go to that home, that was supposed to be her home that she was going to live in forever. um, One reason or another, Paula would call last minute and cancel. So her and her friends went there and they, she wore like um, a blonde wig to disguise herself and they were nervous. So they had had some drinks when they got to his house in Barcelona, Benita stayed behind in the car and watched from afar as her two girlfriends walked up to his home. And when they did, they buzzed on the speaker and a woman answered and they asked if Dr. Maccherini was home. And then um, shortly thereafter, Paolo came to the front door and Benita could see him from the car and she became like very emotional, like kind of had yeah. a meltdown. He came to the front door with his dog and the her friend that came to the door, he had met her before at, you know, in New York. When, oh, okay. um, you know, so he knew who she was yeah. and he like kind of ushered them out and t- onto the street to talk to him. And then that's when a woman came down the steps with two young children <gasps> and Benita knew who his wife was. And this was not his wife. This was a different woman entirely. Oh so my God. There's another woman with two young kids. The two friends just were like, oh yeah, yeah. Um, we're, we're just sad that you know the wedding didn't happen we just wanted to bring you your wedding gift you know just like and he was like oh oh, okay you know whatever and he was like and so they like handed him a um bottle of wine or whatever and they were just like yeah i just wanted to say hello and sorry it didn't work out like they didn't call him out and say like you piece of shit just played along because as far as he knew benita still was with him so then they left and he like went back in the house and then they watched she benita watched as he like crossed the street with the bottle of wine and threw it into a trash can. Like he knew that maybe they were going to like poison him or something. Right. Or maybe he just didn't want the woman to have to explain it to the, to the, yeah, other other girlfriend, wife, lady. Yeah, I guess. And so Benita then texted him and said, I believed you were exactly who you presented yourself to be to me, to my friends and family, to the world. Congratulations. You charmed me and all of us into La La Land. I will never, ever understand how you could have done this to me or to Jesse. Who the hell are you and what the hell is wrong with you? And he ended up writing back just one single word to her. And the word was just, wow. Which is infuriating. Oh. Infuriating. Uh, I would have I would have jumped out of that fucking car, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, so and when Benita went back to New York, she discovered that the documentary that she had made, A Leap of Faith, had actually been nominated for an Emmy. And oh my God. I know. And she told Vanity Fair, uh, of all the things I've worked on that should have been nominated, it had to be this one. I wanted to vomit. Yeah. And Dr. Paolo Maccherini still practices medicine and refuses to comment at all in regards to Benita, their wedding, or on all of his bullshit lies. 
Wow, Paolo. Wow. That was Wait. a Housewives reference and only some of you are <laughs> Wow, Bethany. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Wait, so, so here's what I don't understand. That is a crazy story. What is his motivation? And like, what the fuck did he think was going to happen if she hadn't gotten on to him about this wedding, right? Like if she hadn't figured it out, what would he have done? I think he would have just disappeared and went to another country and just like left it, the situation. You know what I mean? Just like, just kept her going as long as he could. And I'm sure he probably has different women in different areas and different, you know, all these guys that live these double lives, multiple lives. It's like, it doesn't, he doesn't care about the end game. He doesn't care about where that leaves her, what she's going to think. He's just like, he just gets off on like the lying and like having the power over someone, like knowing he's lying and like making someone fall in love with him. I think so. Yeah. He just wants to live in that fantasy world and then, you know, and then on to the next. He's probably just, I, I, I would just think, because I am a psychologist. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> I would think that he was such a fucking psycho narcissist that yeah. he, it's, it's always doctors or these people in power where you're a God complex. You know yeah. what I mean? You want to be the savior and save these people's lives. And then you want to be revered for it. And then you also want to be like, you're saving this woman and her daughter and you're giving her all these wonderful things and every to for everybody to think that you're this like dream man and then you and then when you're found out you just move on to the next yeah so. i just it makes it's like seems so stressful to me <laughs> like oh, to, it is. on his end right to be like spinning all those lies like i don't know oh it's yeah so i don't know how people do it but he's psycho wow psycho. that's a good one good yeah. one dude yeah it was a good one. <laughs> Worth the wait. <laughs> okay. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a super sweet love story? Yes, I, I am. Some, I, I got know some that apple pie they're... for you. Oh, good. <laughs> got apple pie. I got some happy town. Okay. I got my information from goodnewsnetwork.org by Judy Cole and Southern Living by Megan Overdeep and Fox 5 by Beth Galvin. So this is a story of how a random chat between coworkers in the bathroom ended up saving two lives and bonding two families together forever. Oh, and wow. the story happens right here in Atlanta. Well, oh, really? I'm not. I'm not in Atlanta, but you're in Atlanta. It's, it happens in Atlanta. Yes. Okay. So uh, Tia Wimbush and her husband Rodney met in college, and together they have two teenage boys, and Tia calls the three of them the loves of her life. One morning, Rodney, who's a teacher at McDonough High School, was not feeling well. And nothing crazy, but he, but enough that like he went to the school nurse like at the high school and he said the nurse took his blood pressure and it was like sky high. And so Tia was actually at work. She works in the IT department at Children's Hospital of Atlanta. So she's kind of like, like McDonough's a, a suburb and the hospitals in, in the city. So it was, she was a little far away. So Tia's dad actually ended up coming in to pick up Rodney and take him to the hospital. And so doctors did all of like the normal test. And that is when they told him, that his kidney function seemed very low and that he was actually an end-stage kidney failure. 
And he actually had no idea that he had any kind of kidney problems. Like it was like a complete shock. Like they were like, basically you need to start on dialysis right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so they actually, they, the doctors told him they wouldn't release him from the hospital until he had scheduled his first dialysis session. And Tia says it was an absolute shock. We didn't understand what was being said to us, what the magnitude was, what it meant. So Rodney started on dialysis. And Tia talks about how being on dialysis was something that not just affected Rodney's life, but the whole family's life too. Because once you go on dialysis, you have to go several times a week and be there for hours. And like you cannot stop dialysis unless you get a new kidney. So it's either like a thing that you start and then you're on it forever oh. uh, or you get a new kidney. And he was young. And oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so the process is just like completely exhausting. Rodney was put on the donor list in 2020 and his family prayed that he would find a match. But actually the average mm. wait for a kidney is nine years. And most people don't survive on dialysis long enough to find a donor. But the best chance is really for many people is to find someone like a relative or a friend who can donate a kidney. But of course, even if you find someone who is willing, they have to have a compatible blood type or else your body will reject the organ. So so Tia is trying to navigate raising two teenage boys. She's working. She's now caring for her husband. Like, all while worrying about whether or not Rodney is going to find a kidney. And so, you know, she got tested and uh, other family members got tested and no one was a match for him. And Tia's coworkers at the Children's Hospital of Atlanta, Choa, uh, knew about her struggles. And so one day at work, a woman that she worked with but didn't know very well, like came by her desk and was like, hey, can I talk to you? And the woman's name was Susan Ellis. And she told Tia, she was like, I understand what you and Rodney are going through because me and my husband are dealing with the exact same thing. So Susan Ellis and her husband married actually only a year ago. And she says that he came into the marriage with a dog and she came into it with two kids. And when they met, Lance had already had a kidney transplant a few years earlier. And so she obviously knew he had kidney problems And the two had actually moved up their wedding date because it seemed that his body was rejecting this, this donor kidney. And the day after their wedding, the day after their wedding, Lance ended up in the hospital. And like Rodney, he was told he was an end stage kidney failure. And so Lance started on dialysis, which he had gone through before and he knew how hard it was going to be. It was like the last thing he wanted to do was have to be on dialysis again. And with every month, he was getting weaker and weaker and more and more sick. And he, too, started the process of finding a donor, which was going to be a harder sell for him, even though he was young, because he already now he was already on his, you know, he'd already had a kidney transplant. So he is probably lower on the list. But Mm. so Susan and Tia, you know, they bonded instantly about like how hard it was to have these husbands who were, you know, needed kidney transplants and the process of dialysis. And so every so often they would check in with one another. And one day they ran into each other in the bathroom and Tia, who knew that Susan and Lance had just finished up their donor process. Like they, they were catching up. Tia was like, how is it going? They commiserated about not being a match for their own husbands. Like they both were like, I wish we could, I could just donate 
you know, my kidney to my husband. And yeah. Susan mentioned that Lance was an O negative. She was like, yeah, I can't because I'm in a, t- a type A. He's an O negative. And Tia said it was like a light bulb moment because her blood type is O and Rodney's is an A. So there's this really cute moment in the interview that Tia and Susan did with Southern Living. And Tia's like, it was a light bulb moment for us because we thought we could be the donors for each other's husbands. And Susan is like, oh no, we didn't have a light bulb moment. Tia had a light bulb moment. And Susan was just over here washing her hands like, oh, this is interesting. (laughs) She's like, I did not connect the dots. Uh huh. But Tia was just like, what if we did our own exchange? Like, what if... I was the donor for your husband and you were the donor for my husband. And Susan was like, yeah, Susan was like, yes, let's do it. So Tia immediately went back to her desk and called her donor coordinator and got the ball rolling. And so like first they had to confirm they were a match. And so four weeks after this just like chance encounter in the bathroom, they got the news that they were confirmed to donate the kidneys. Oh, wow. Yeah. So on March 19th, 2021, only seven months after. Yeah. This just happened. Wow. Yeah. So this was only seven months after they started this whole process. Like Tia and Rodney and Susan and Lance arrived at the hospital for the transplants. And Tia said, when you think about what we're doing, it's actually kind of scary. It's a big deal. But we just had a piece in that moment. This was what we were supposed to do. So... Susan and Rodney went first, and right before Tia was wheeled back to have her kidney harvested, she got the news that the transplant had been a success. So she got to go into surgery knowing that her husband was okay. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So when Susan woke up from surgery, she said the first question that she asked was, how's Rodney? And Rodney is Tia's husband. So, But she was like, I just wanted to know that the kidney had taken. Because sometimes like, even if you're a match blood-wise the kidney won't take in the person's body for some reason or another. Um, But she learned that he was doing great. It had taken well. And now she had a couple more hours in recovery while she waited to hear about her own husband's surgery. But the news finally came. Tia's kidney had also taken to Lance right away and he was doing great. Yeah. So Lance said that he had not realized just how sick he had become until he came out of the transplant surgery and his new kidney took over He was like, I mean, as soon as I woke up from surgery, it's like hitting a light switch. You feel amazing. You're ready to go for a run. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Like it's just, you don't, just that function makes you feel so sick. Tia said the the experience was powerful. I felt exhilarated. I felt exhilarated because of what we had done because I was able to donate my kidney to Lance and just the magnificent of God, if you will. And she said that the tra- that the surgery transformed her husband, Rodney. She said, this is the happiest I've ever seen him because he's got this second chance at life and this chance to be fully present for me and the boys. And it just means the world to him. So on the, mo- on the morning that Susan and Tia returned to work at the Children's, um, Children's Hospital of Atlanta, like after the surgeries, their coworkers lined up in the hall on the way into the building to cheer for these two heroes. And the two women are just like so grateful for one another, as you can imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They said they not be best friends when you like saved each other's husbands. And they were like, they both feel like that they also got a gift. Susan says Rodney was able to give his son a diploma last night on stage as he graduated from high school. For me to witness that was greater than any lottery I could have won. So now Susan's like just seeing 
this man I gave my kidney to, like knowing that I was part of something bigger than myself is like, you know, it's just like a, that's a, to give your life such meaning. And Susan says, it's a story of kindness. Had Tia not had the basic conversation in the restroom while we're washing our hands, just checking in on one another, perhaps this would not have evolved into the magnitude that it has. And for Tia, it's just a story of hope. She says, what I hope is that people take away is that they could be someone else's answered prayer. You could be someone else's hope. All it takes is a conversation, a kind word, checking in on someone to see how they're doing. You don't know how far that can go for one person. Wow. So if you want to learn more about the screening process and paired kidney exchanges, you can visit kidneyregistry.org. And I just realized that's like the second transplant story I've done in a row. But, you know, I get on a roll with these. I did. I was for a while I was doing adoption love stories. What was the last one? The people who like both got heart transplants. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't believe you don't remember. <laughs> no, they all just run together. So much love, you know? So much love. Just so much love. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Dude, I love that story. That's great. Isn't that good? Yeah. I and I just a love... little palate cleanser. Right? Like, oh, there's just good people who just want to do good oh, for and each also, other. My story was also about transplants. That's, man. So Weird. everybody get on the transplant. Transplant registry. Um, All right, let's do something dumb and something we love. Let's do it. Okay. Well, I feel like the things that I was going to talk about, we talked about on top, but like, yeah, what's something dumb is I feel real bad that, like, you know, I've been working so much and I don't have time to take my kids on. You know, there's a lot of pressure, especially Sally and I go to the same elementary school and there's a lot of people at our school that are like taking European vacations and like summering in Barbados or uh-huh. whatever <laughs> and like have a house in Capri. Yeah. And, um, and I'm like, uh, I can go to Chattanooga for two nights. No, nope, <laughs> one, one night. <laughs> so I feel bad. Uh, but my kids are just going to have to deal. I mean, I your do feel like I, I don't. Yeah, I know. Like I, you want to give your kids the world, but sometimes you just can't. So, and I feel like that's a life lesson. As much as it sucks and I feel bad for them that they don't get to do all these like fun trips. I think that like that's a good lesson to learn is that, you know, don't compare yourself to other people and yeah. you can have fun in Chattanooga and give your mom a fucking break. <laughs> give your mom a break. <laughs> Um, no, but the thing that I love was we we did have it just like that one day, like they had the best time and everything. They upgraded us and the hotel we stayed at was so nice. And then they even upgraded us to this like fancy suite. And the, they were both like, oh, I've never been in a hotel this nice before. <laughs> they have. <laughs> but um, uh, But yeah, it was like, you know, they were great sports and we had a really, really good time. And I think we should go back to Chattanooga. Yeah, Chattanooga. Chattanooga's cool. Will you have us? <laughs> Will you take us, Chattanooga? Will you take us, Chattanooga? <laughs> take us. So that's that for me. This week for my – I don't have anything dumb, and I know – I'm sorry I say this, but, you know, it's been a nice week. It's, I'm, on a, I'm on vacation. I'm not saying anything dumb. And uh, and I got to let my kid back in the room. So that's the thing dumb. I love that <laughs> – you're right. You know what? I'm Actually, I do have something dumb. <laughs> Is that sleeping <laughs> in the same room? as a five-year-old for a week (laughs) is real dumb. But the thing I love is I read a book with my eyes. 
Um, it's called The Postscript Murders. If you like detective things, this is like a, it's not a cozy mystery, but it's like very, it's, it's British. I like the British ones. It's real, it's real, it's a fun, it's a fun, uh, a fun detective, mis- detective book. It's called The Postscript Murders by Ellie Griffiths. And I recommend it. Nice. It's just, I will just check real it enjoyable. Out. All right. So you guys, thank you so much for sticking with us. And I hope you guys are having a great week. I should say one other thing I love is that July 4th is my brother's birthday. Oh, cool. So fun. Happy Happy birthday birthday. to him. Happy birthday, Keith. Um, I don't think he listens, but you know, if he did. Keith. Keith. (laughs) I don't think. I think my my mom listens. What? Let's say hi to Caroline O'Neill. Caroline. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Caroline. Um. Jennifer's told me so much about you. <laughs> but none of my siblings listen. Oh, yeah. Why would they? That's all right. That's all right. Um, okay. Well, thank you, guys. We love each and every one of you. And, um, and uh, you know, find us on all the places. Find us on, on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, at Dumb Love Podcast. You can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. And that's it. And. Make sure to get out there on all your fancy vacations and do something <laughs> dumb for love. Dum-da-dum, dum-dum, da-dum-da-dum, dum-da-dum, 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 dum-